welcome to the first Australian Deer podcast. I'm Barry Howlett, Executive Officer of the Australian Deer Association. The ADA is Australia's foremost deer management, advocacy and big game hunting organisation. These will be occasional podcasts as a part of the new Australian Deer multimedia platform. One of the problems with short articles or social media posts is that context and nuance can be lost. Podcasts give us the opportunity to delve in a little deeper and flesh things out somewhat. The values behind what we have to say remain unchanged since we started back in 1969, but the opportunities for communicating are so much broader today. For us, deer hunting and deer management are not a business opportunity or a market to be served or a fad to be exploited. They're our reason for being. In an increasingly crowded deer scene, it is more important now than ever that our informed and reasonable voice is heard. Back in 2014, Brian Murphy from the Quality Deer Management Association in the USA addressed our national conference and he issued us with a stark challenge. Be relevant or die. Since then, the ADA has been in a constant state of change. We've modernised our flagship magazine twice, adopted an all new constitution and management structure we're about to launch an all new communications platform, which will put us again at the cutting edge. For some that change has been far too fast, for others far too slow. Change is always difficult, but change is always necessary. Central to those changes has been the national chairman, David Voss. David's been at the head of the ADA since 2013 and has helped to navigate the organisation through the most fundamental change in our 50 year history. It's fitting that David is the first guest on the Australian Deer podcast. Welcome, David. Yeah, thanks, Barry. So we're just, as I said in the intro, we're just trying to have a chat, flesh out a few ideas, um, a bit more than we normally get the chance to in our short columns in magazines or short social media posts, which is how we communicate with the vast bulk of our membership, given how, how large it is and how broad it is. Um, so I thought we'd just run through some of these big changes that have been happening in the ADA. Um, but first, maybe a bit of background on David Voss. Who is David Voss? What brought David Voss to the ADA and what makes you stay? Um, well, firstly, I'm an ADA member just like every other ADA member. I, I volunteer to do a job just like every other member that puts their hand up to help out. So as a country boy, I've always hunted, even in primary school. So naturally... When I moved to Canberra for work in the early 90s, I started looking around for other hunters to mix with. ADA were the only show in town that knew the difference between hunting and shooting, so I joined up, helped out at branch events, got known, and the next thing I know, I'm being asked to be national president. So it all happened really quick. It's that easy. Yeah, yeah, plenty of work. Um, what makes me stay? That's a good question. As a member, I really value the friendships that ADA has brought to me. The people I've met through ADA and now call friends are absolutely first-class ambassadors for our hunting culture. So, you know, that's that's a big personal gain for ADA and me. Um, it's a really good fellowship. Um, there was a young bloke at Gippsland Branch. We had Eugen Reichart used to have that as a structured part of our meeting on our agenda was a time for fellowship and, yeah. and the ADA is a really good fellowship. It's almost churchy in some ways, yeah. but yeah. Look, as a, as a director, I stay because there's unfinished business that needs to be wrapped up. Um, we started this modernisation program because a bunch of us 
believed that what we had at the time could be improved and, and to be honest, needed to be improved um, if we wanted to continue to exist and be effective stewards for our wild deer herds. I reckon we're about 20% of the way there, you know, so there's still lots more work to go. But I guess overall, I stay because I believe in the cause and because I think I get more back than I give. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, now I've worked with you for most of that time and it's, you know, it's change, change is going to be constant, of course, but this sort of level of big change, you'd hope will settle down and bed in and we'll move into a... Yeah, it's just a, a chunk of work to get over and then the next wave will start. Yeah. Now, um, this is our 50th year in ADA, uh, 2019 is our 50th anniversary. And it's been very much framed as an opportunity to look at our future rather than necessarily look back at our past. What attributes from the past do you see carrying through though? I think the more you immerse yourself in the ADA, the more you realise that the greybeards that kicked us off got it right. And, and I had to be in the chair for a few years before I realised that. Um, you know, the keeping, by keeping the status of deer at the forefront of everything we do and say, all the other things we want, such as you know somewhere to sh somewhere to hunt, something to hunt, and something to hunt with, which is often used, all that stuff just becomes so much more achievable. And I think that's an important message, like you know, especially in these days when deer's been demonised left, right, and centre. You got to, if you don't respect the game, then everything else just becomes. I don't know what the right word is, just, it's, it's just superficial. Yeah, you know? and I think it absolutely shines through when you're talking to people outside the organisation, be they politicians or you know, friends and family. Hmm. Um, when you're seeing the wildlife that you're taking as more than a furry target, hmm. um, when people can see the respect and the thought we've got for our quarry, I think that really shines through. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got a quality of genuineness about it that even if they don't like hunting they still I hope respect you know, your, your particular views um, the other thing I think we've got a really solid set of principles which you know um, well they win us a lot of respect when we, whenever we go into a meeting and things like refusing to accept sweetheart deals exclusively for ADA members and insisting on opportunities like Snake Island are available for all licensed hunters. You know, you and I saw that in, in Penrith when Steve Garlick um, mentioned that at the Hunters Forum we had up there that, you know, standing applause, you know, one of two things that got applauded that day because everybody in the room thought, you know, these guys are fighting for us even though we're not members. People don't know what to do when they spot people who aren't yeah. self-interested. Yeah. It's, it's a bit strange, it puts us a bit different. Um, I think our network of branches has been critical to our success and while we need to think hard about what the branch of the future does and looks like, you know, I think you'll agree that branches will remain the face of ADA for most members going forward. Um, they're right at the forefront of service delivery and, you know, I can't see branches going away. No, absolutely. Um, they're, yeah, they're very much our, our local window. And for a vast bulk of our members who don't get involved in the politics of ADA or in anything else, those branch activities are their contact yeah, with their association. It's, it's, it's reason enough to join, and hopefully we can add a few layers of value on top of that. But 
if, if all you want is a local branch, knock your socks off, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, so we are, as much as we are a hunting organisation, we're a deer management organisation, uh, first, first and foremost, as you mm-hmm. sort of led with. Um, deer management's taken a fairly sharp turn over the past decade or so. Um, what do you see ADA's role in the conversation about deer management to be going forward? It's certainly a, a real multi-headed monster we're struggling with at the moment. For the first 40 years of our existence, hunters were the only ones who cared about deer. Uh, nobody else had any interest in them. For the last 10 years or so, we've seen deer come under attack by a lot of, I call them blow-ins, that are, that are motivated by either a financial or a philosophical driver whether that's you know, jobs for pest management or you know, we don't like deer because they're not native animals, whatever it is, but they're certainly under attack. And, and the politics of it all is that hunters are generally being excluded from the conversation now, so we have to fight hard, as you know, just to get a seat at the table to, have, to be a part of the deer conversation these days. Um, yeah, it's um, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, Nobody wanted to talk talk about deer. Mm. We were the only people, and and now, like you said, it's just it's a yeah. crowded field, and there's there's ideologues pushing what I call jingles mm. um, as solutions, and people with loud enough loud enough voices to be heard, unfortunately. Mm. And uh, you know, especially from the government types, they're in the they're in the box seat in terms of writing policy and stuff. So, you know, our work is probably. As, good, as perverse as it sounds, our work is probably harder now that everybody wants to make deer a, pests, a mm. pest than they were when they were off the radar and, and everybody just wanted to get on with it. Yeah, and it's, and it's funny, I've been to forums where, and I think I know you've heard it from landowners as well, in other roles that you've got, is, well, what are you worried about? You're always going to have deer to shoot. Mm. Um, people mistake us that that's, that's back, back to that whole... We're interested in deer, not just in killing deer. Yeah. Um, people often mistake us for all well, you want is something to kill. So yeah. what's, well, what are you, why, are you even, why are you even talking about management? Yeah. And um, you know, and I said to a lot of them, you know, yeah, but what you're proposing will change the fundamentals of how hunting is managed in Australia. And you know, yeah, there'll always be deer. We have confidence in that because you've never successfully exterminated any introduced animal in Australia once they get established. So I'm not worried about the deer going away, but I'm worried about the unintended consequences of what you're proposing. And we you know, we have to have that fight. The sad thing is at the same time, we've got a lot of ill-informed shooters jumping on the bandwagon, um, wanting to go out and you know save the environment and kill all these nasty pests without realizing that stupidly enough, if they get what they want, it's ultimately going to lead to both the loss of the deer and of, of their firearms, you know. So um, we're kind of wedged a little bit between guys that should be on our own side that don't aren't educated enough to know the, the nuances, as you say. Yeah, and I think particularly with that, it's the nuance that is missing. So it's it's this paradigm that you the deer are either a horrible pest or a game resource and that there's no mixing yeah, in the very, middle. Very binary, um, it's black or white. Yeah, yeah, the, the same deer 10 kilometres away mm. can either be an overabundant problem or a valued resource. Mm. 
or can be both at the same time and it, it's really difficult to get that nuance even amongst our own community let alone amongst the level of thinking is not there to, to allow that more sophisticated conversation we get criticized for it as ada um, by people who are purists about deer people who love deer who are saying how come you're involved in culls you're running down the status of deer by being involved in culls well there's areas undeniably where deer are having pretty bad negative environmental impacts mm. and we want to be involved in helping to manage that um, but that nuance mm. explaining to people whilst they're having a negative impact here Sandra and Victoria are a great example. There's areas where there's completely intolerable, unsustainable, negative environmental impacts, but through the vast majority of their habitat range, it's fairly benign. Uh, most people could walk into that bush and not be able to pick Sam's yeah. But the danger is the antis will point to a rub or a wallow yeah. and, and say, look at, look at all this, this is how bad it is, and then they'll wave their arm over the horizon yeah. and and you know, sort of suggest to the uninformed listener that this damage that they can clearly see in front of them is going to happen over the whole of the state. Yeah. And therefore, this you know, localised control is not the way to go. We need to declare pests across the whole country. And, and of course, the management regime that comes after that is no good. So I think clearly our role going forward, or a big part of our role going forward, is to be the ones holding everyone else in this conversation now accountable. You know. Um, we've got to start shining a light on their bullshit and call them on them when they're, when they're not using facts and, and data to drive the agenda. Um, like the Democrats said, you know, keep the bastards honest. If they won't engage us and include us in, in as a stakeholder, I don't see what else we can do other than just make sure they're, they're doing what they say they're going to do yeah. and, and looking after animal welfare and all those other things that, you know, I often draw comparisons between wild deer and, and bumbies or wild horses, feral horses, if you want to use the correct terminology. But um, you know. You're going to get us in trouble now. Yeah. <laughs> you, um, we won't talk about mortadella, but we'll really get in trouble. Yeah. Um, but what a segue to talking about wild food. Yeah. Um, the ADA's been, for a few years, more or less leading the charge on the use of wild food. There's other people doing it. There's, um, you know, Jason Spencer doing his hunt, catch, cook stuff. I know WSWA have done some field to fork. Field and Game have done some great stuff with the Banquet to Bush in their magazine. We've got Locavore in our magazine. We're running cooking events. Why do you think this wild food aspect of what we do is important? I guess food's a common bond between hunters and non-hunters. So, um Bob Goff talked about venison diplomacy at his life member dinner, and I think he's right. You know, sharing some venison with a non-hunter is a great tool for helping them to accept hunting. They might not like it, they might not choose to do it themselves, but it, it puts it in a light for them that they can go, yeah, I get that. Whereas if you talk about, you know, um, hunting for pleasure, as they put it, you know, they just they, they can't cut, they can't come at that. So I think it's a it's just a good barrier breaker. I think it's a really common question for the uninitiated, which is, you know, we're sitting in suburban Melbourne now and, and looking out into the suburbs where you know, millions, literally millions of people live. And for most of those people, what we do is mystified. It's foreign. It's, yeah. it's like any other thing that happens outside their immediate culture. They just don't get it. You know? I think the food 
is really curious and there's something intrinsic in in people um suburban people bush people just people about wastage um we saw some states at a new south wales pest conference you and i were at last year from i'll get the name of the land care group from murrumbidgee or somewhere around there where mm. they'd surveyed landholders who were dealing with serious issues with overabundant deer mm. and their attitude towards shoot to waste was almost the same as ours even though these are people who are some of them suffering environmental impacts from the deer mm. or financial impacts from the deer they still can't get over the idea of killing these animals mm. and leaving the meat to rot it's the same with kangaroos and you've got to remember these guys you know these landholders the graziers they make their living from raising and caring for animals so you know, a, a needless death to them is just a waste mm. uh, it's against what they do every day and the same attitude prevails here so we'll do a radio interview with a dj from the city first or second question guaranteed is what do you do with them after you shoot them mm. they people want to know that you're not just killing things for the sake of mm. killing things but here's the point of difference then you know again go back to the earlier earlier piece you know we've got to try and educate shooters who are looking for live targets and, and don't take that next step in, in utilising what they can. Um, they're not really helping us, you know, in, in the fight to, to stay relevant. No, they're not. And there's, look, there's stuff, some really proactive stuff we're doing. So, you know, the wild, upcoming Wild Deer Expo at Sandown at the end of March, mm. which we'll put in a shameless gratuitous plug for ADA's 50th anniversary yeah. dinners at um, on the Saturday night at Sandown. Yep, tickets uh, on sale now. Ticket, get, your, get your tickets early. Get, get your tickets early. There's a link on our Facebook page. There'll be a link in the show notes on this podcast. Get your tickets. It's going to be a fantastic night. Got some great guests already lined up, some great auction items to help our cause. Also at that show, we've got two of Melbourne's top chefs, Ricardo Mameso and Daniel Aero Ferrula. They're going to be doing cooking demonstrations. Um, these are blokes who run some of the best we went to Daniel's restaurant in the city today. Mm. Um, you saw the passion this bloke's got for mm. food. He, he fed us fig ice cream that was made from some figs that came off Larry and Shanna Finnis's property that they couldn't take to market because they're imperfect fruit. Mm. Um, so 30 kilo of these figs went into Daniel on yes. Monday or something and they've been turned into the most beautiful gourmet food yeah tasted all right i didn't see any imperfection there was no imperfection in the fig ice cream we had um so that's part of how we're doing this venison diplomacy the other thing the big thing we're doing again in victoria is and hopefully once victoria gets it up other states will follow suit is changes to allow hunters to take their food to a commercial premises get it processed so hopefully by the middle of the year, it was meant to be last year, got held up in parliamentary process, hunters will be able to take the leg of venison into a commercial premises, not a butcher, but another type of a home kill butcher type premises. Mm. Say, so, mate, I want this in a package that I could give to my mother-in-law and she could cook for her friends mm. and pick it up a week later as really nice sausages or salamis or really well prepared. Yeah. Same as you'd buy meat from a butcher shop. Um, and that's a huge thing, I think, to just spreading what we do. It's not good enough. A lot of people go off venison because they've been given stuff that people have butchered in the bush that's terrible. Yeah, it's like an old tree and, and grass and through it. And it's, 
Yeah, it's it, it's, <laughs> it's a beautiful meat, but it does have to be handled properly. Yeah, I guess we should we should probably do more in that space as well. You know, it's a lot of focus on on the hunt. You probably need to put more educational material out about how to look after it once you've got it. And I guess the benefit of all that, out of all that as well for for us as deer managers is if if the ability to take that carcass to a butcher and have it processed means the difference between you taking two deer on a trip versus four or five deer on a trip and yeah that's going to help our case in the in terms of managing the overall numbers as well so it's a win-win like i can't see any losers in that other than maybe the beef farmers but and and it's still niche in that we're not yeah. we're not destroying the beef market um and the best you said that we should do more in teaching people to do it helping people along that journey i think that's really important our best delivery method for that is back to our branches. Mm. Um, we've got branches, ADA spread all across Australia. Every state and territory of Australia mm. has at least an ADA branch. Um, some of them have several. Some uh, have one that we've got three, one state, three one branch, state, state or territories. Yeah. Uh, how do they all, this, this is a really easy question for you, how do they fit together? And in a perfect world, how do they fit together? So, you know, 20 words or less. 20 words or less. <laughs> Look, if I'm honest, I think we're guilty of allowing our branches to become little local hunting clubs over time. You know, the, the basic DNA is the same, but there's not a lot in common when it comes to things like meeting formats, activities like education, you know, which includes the butchering and cooking and all that sort of stuff. And, and the degree that they get and promote ADA objectives, you know, they, it's just not consistent. And, Part of that's because we've been so focused on getting the, the national organisation sorted over the last couple of years. But um, we've done a lot of work to build the tools to let us break down that tribalism, you know, the new multimedia platform we're about to launch and stuff like that. And But I have to say, as a board, we need to do more, a lot more, to support branches to be hardcore ADA, you know, um, just bring them back to the fold. That'd be great if we do that. And this, this platform you mentioned, so this podcast is a part of, a very small part of the new communications platform, um, which will help certainly with the internal communication, but also the external communication. Um, it's a significant investment that ADA is making in this new platform. Can you walk us through a bit of what we're doing and why? Yeah, well, let's start with the why. Um, to do what we need to do, the ADA needs to be like a well-oiled machine. Um, and that's both administratively in, in how we engage with our members. So, you know, if you sit back and look, magazine printing costs, as you know, they're only going through the roof. Every time we print a magazine, it seems to go up. Postage costs are going up. Um, and by the time you get a printed magazine, anything in it's old news, you know? So it's not, everything else today is instantaneous and magazines take a, a while to put together and put out. So the board realised we needed a quantum shift that would last at least 10 years. And we found, when we found the, um, the integrated solution that we've signed up for, it was a bit of a no-brainer in terms of how we communicate. So what is it? I guess most groups like ADA start off with a, a member database, probably two-dimensional Excel file, if I know most of them. And then they start to put things around that, like, you know, a web page and 
maybe Facebook or an email system or you know, they, they sort of buy bits and pieces. But the trouble with that is nothing talks to anything else and, and it's really hard for volunteers to maintain. So it's just clunky. And what we're moving to is a, is a solution that's been designed from the start as a multimedia management platform, which just so happens to use the member databases as the brain. So that means that we can really tailor the membership experience based on the preferences they select. Um, and we can make our content available to the members in whatever format they, they want in pretty much real time. So you know, you were talking about the example of, you know, you're in the bush and you can see a cracker of a stag. For some reason, you don't want to take the shot, but you get your phone out, take some footage of it. And if you've got coverage, upload it. And, you know, 10 minutes later, it can be on the ADA Facebook page, you know. So, um, you know, making it easier for branch newsletter editors to, to edit it and get it out. And, um, look, there's a whole bunch of things that it enables. So... It's, it's the precursor to really trying to revamp, as I said, what our branches do and what they look like and also what value we can offer our members. Yeah, and it's, it's an understanding also, I think, that people want content. Um, people are thinking that... People are seeing newspapers falling off the perch, magazines falling off the perch, but people are actually consuming more content than ever before. Um, mm. They're consuming some really good stuff on social media. And they're consuming some real rubbish on social media. But to be able to have a trusted source that delivers content mm. in just about every way people want it. Mm. So we've got Australian Deer Magazine, which we've published since 1976. We're up to the 44th volume. Mm. It's the longest running, most prestigious deer magazine in the Southern Hemisphere. Mm. Um, something we're really proud of and we think it's just getting better and better. But also that content in other ways. I've, I've got a 15 and a 17 year old niece who have never picked up a magazine in their lives. Mm. They both read and consume a lot of content. Yeah. But the way us old bikes consume content is not necessarily the way that the next mm. generation of hunters consume. And if we're gonna be relevant, back to Brian's point, Yeah be relevant or die yep. if we're going to be relevant to people we've got to meet them on their terms and you know, and, and not just be inwardly focused as well so with the tools that we've got we can also use them outwardly so with our lobbying efforts you know as we talked about holding these people running so-called de management programs holding them accountable you know the, the, the tools that let us put out a damning report because some public servants make an absolute you know, shocker of a, a job of managing a herd somewhere. Um, it's a key part of us getting that big spotlight and yeah. encouraging in one way or the other to talk to us and and do the job properly. If you're gonna if you're gonna manage deer for us uh, and you're not gonna take our advice on it, then you better do a fairly fairly serious job about it, or we we'll be screaming your heads yeah. off. You know? And on the flip side, if you're doing a really good job, yeah, praise we'll, yeah. we'll be screaming about that too. Yeah, the absolutely. world will know that you're doing it well. Yeah. Um, which moves us into uh, crystal ball time. 2025, where's the ADA? 2025, that's what, seven years away, jeez. Um, personally, I'd like to think we've wrapped up all this modernisation stuff and we've got the organisation humming from top to bottom. As I said, I think we're about 20% of the way through. Still lots of potential to wring out of it. Um, 
it's just work. People can do work. I think we'll be a more mission-focused organisation. I think we'll, you know, hunting's important and it's what a lot of guys or people join us for. But it's it's not the core of what we're about. You know, if we just go out and hunt the people that are now demonising deer and calling them pests, they'll have a free reign. And at some point, you won't be able to hunt anymore, right? Because they'll either get biological controls or toxins approved, you know, like they're working on now in South Australia. So, you know, all these little cosy hunting arrangements the guys have got with a local landholder or um, even public land hunting for that. You know, if you base your whole argument on let us manage your deer, you know, we'll come in and shoot them for you. Bit of trouble when they get a better offer. As soon as they get something that's less problematic, you know, I can... Yeah, I can think of a few programs. You probably know which ones I'm thinking about. You know, what our guys achieve in six months, these guys will do in a weekend by putting a, a hopper of 1080 baited wheat into a paddock. And sorry, guys, nothing left to shoot. See you later. And, and when that happens, guess what? What's your genuine reason for owning a firearm? You know, we do live in a perverse world where poisoning is seen as preferable to a preferable clean kill. To a clean kill. <laughs> yeah. Look, the, I think the other thing is, and, and we're not alone in this, you know, we talked to Field and Game today, same deal. I think volunteerizing, vol- volunteering is um, dropping off across lots of different areas of, of society. And so I think one big change, which has got good and negative points, is we'll, we'll move more away from volunteer and more to paid employees or, or you know, paid services to do the work that we need done that, is, is too much, you know, a lot of the jobs we do now, you know, our volunteers, you can't ask that much of them. Look, look at Ken Slee with a magazine, you know, two, three, four days a week, every month for how many years? 200 something editions, I think. Yeah. I thought you were going to say 200 years. No, 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 he's not that old. <laughs> um, like, that's not a reasonable ask in these days. And he'd already yeah. earned his life membership before yeah. he started with that. Well, we actually... <laughs> We talked at one stage about giving him a second one, but yeah. Um, yeah, look, so I think, of course, you know, as we go to more paid services to get the quality that we need to compete in the modern world, the, the elephant in the room is how we pay for that, so. Yeah, and, um, and how we integrate that so that it's, it's enhancing the role of the volunteers rather than replacing the role yeah. of the, so if we can leave it to our volunteers have got the time to spend doing the fun stuff. Yeah, and leave the hard work to idi- guys. idiots like me who are getting paid do the less fun stuff. Then, yeah. then that's the ideal. Yeah, but you know, it's, it's all, I mean, it's being fair to our volunteers and not burn them out. But it's also, you know, they're good guys and they do what they can. But sometimes the quality is just not where you need it to be. And you know, sometimes timing, like a volunteer might take a month to do something that we need done in a couple of days. So, you know utmost respect for volunteers but um, sometimes they're just not the right tool for the job so yeah answer that question for me and we'll have a conversation tomorrow yeah okay okay, so the Australian government gets taken over in a hostile coup Um, Prince William or whatever his name is is unavailable so they named David Voss King for the day King for a day what do you change I'd make it a law that every ADA member gets a month of April off as cultural leave in addition to their annual leave. Because <laughs> we all use our annual leave for doing things that our wives probably don't appreciate so much. But um, yeah, look, I don't know. What would you do in a day? I mean, 
the sad part about it is the next guy the following day will probably overturn it that's the way <laughs> that's the way it works so um yeah i don't know next question <laughs> well, that about brings us to the end any closing thoughts anything to... um look the one thing i'd say to members is you know you, you got a, a pretty uh, a bunch of guys at the moment in in the director's roles that are all you know really dedicated and trying to do the best job they can and we're all limited in the time we can devote to the ADA so quite often things aren't done quite as well as we want or we miss things or we prioritise things down and I guess you know as you, you mentioned earlier change is really hard and people kind of like what they've got but I just encourage the members that as we as we go increasingly out into the branch sort of territory and start asking branches to do things differently and, you know this this IT platform's a classic you know um, for branch newsletters here's how you distribute your branch newsletter can you use this rather than emailing it to 640 blokes um, as we ask you to change uh, just ask not to not to resist it because it's not how you've done it before because if you do that then we can't take advantage of what we've now got available to us so just be patient you know take a positive attitude into it and I guess know that the board, you know, they're ADA too, you know, like this, this them and us sort of attitude that you see from time to time. Well, you're ADA and you're ADA volunteers too. You, yeah. you, your bikes are, yeah. are doing stuff because you've got a passion about deer management, deer hunting and the organisation. You, yeah. You're not doing it for... It's a big ask. Like when we, when we move from the with the new constitution when we moved from the national exec over to the board you and I said to these guys it's nutted out even just to go to the meetings that we had planned was one day a week every week yeah. and you know to do anything in their own portfolios is probably another day a week so we're asking them to give up every weekend for a year to be a director and you know like and a lot of them all of them all of you are active in other ways as well so most of them are busy at state level and, and a yeah. lot of them have got hunting related interests outside of the ada as well so yeah just um just be patient and take a positive attitude and i think what we've got planned um which has had a lot of thought go into it and a lot of work it'll, it'll end up with a, a far better ada and um, more members, more resources to do stuff with, and better outcomes for the deer. Yeah, a, a better an ability to keep prosecuting those really good values that we've had since 1969 for the next 50 years. I've often said to people, you know, there's, there's lots of organisations that you can join that will take you hunting, but there's very few organisations that work hard to make sure you can still be hunting in 10 years' time. And I think that's a differentiator with us and field and game that we work really closely with. But, um, you know, if you if you just want to, no, mate, I just want to go hunting, you know, I don't want to help out with the barbecue this weekend or, yeah, that's fine, but, you know, you, you're freeloading and, and, you're, and you're burning up your, your kids' future if you want them to go hunting. So, yeah, work with us. Thanks, David. Um, good chat. As I said at the beginning, these will be occasional podcasts. We're not going to release them every week or necessarily every month. It'll be 
when we've got an interesting guest to have or something important to say, we're going to use this longer form to communicate. Um, but look out for the other big stuff that's changing. So your new Australian deer, which most people will have by the time they hear this, um, they'll have the Australian Deer app available on their phones, hopefully, by the time they hear this, and a new website on the way, more video content, more multimedia content, and some big events coming up, such as the Wild Deer Expo. We've got the um, hunt up at Shelley later in the year, which all ADA members are invited to, which will be a really fantastic way to celebrate our culture and our shared values. Mm. I think it's about 10 days that camp's booked for, and you can come for one day or come for the whole time. Yeah. but. There'll be ADA members from across the country. Yeah, breaking down those silos. Yeah. Um, so encourage anyone listening, if you're not an ADA member, get on the website and join. Um, yeah. If you are, come along. Um, even if you just come along for a night, there should be events in, in every state and territory over the course of the year. But if you can get to some of these really big events, mix with... The dog day at Tumbarumba as well. That's a yeah, one. another one of those fantastic um, gun dog training days at Tumbarumba with international guests. We've got Dr. Craig Harper coming out from the States um, in, a, in about a month's time doing some work on habitat and, and some advising some people. Again, you know, ADA focusing on the big picture of the future, not just on the here and now, what can we shoot? So we've got all that to look forward to. Uh, thank you all for listening to the first of the Australian Deer Podcasts.